getting married in the morning. Ding dong, the bells are gonna chime. Pull out the stopper, let's have a whopper, but get me to the church on time. I gotta be there in the morning. Spruced up and looking in my prime. Boys love and kiss me, show how you'll miss me, but get me to the church on time. If I am dancing, roll up the floor. If I am whistling, whisk me out the door. I'm getting married in the morning. Ding dong, the bells are gonna chime. Kick up a rumpus, don't lose the compass, and get me to the church on time. Hello and welcome to Broadway Radios. This week on Broadway for Sunday, February 4th, 2024. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today, we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His new book, Brain Teasers for Broadway Geniuses, is now available wherever finer books are sold. Peter has columns at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. Hello. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of castalbumreviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You could see his photography work at followspotphoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. Hello. So this week we got some terribly sad news that uh, Cheetah Rivera had passed away at the age of 91. This uh, was... Uh, quite an incredible outpouring in the Broadway community, uh, and rightfully so. And I just want to hear some remembrances from the two of you about Cheetah. So, Peter, why don't you get us started on Cheetah? Well, this is what I posted on Facebook. The first time I ever encountered Cheetah Rivera in the flesh was October 3rd, 1964, at the Schubert Theater in Boston, where her new musical, Bajour, was trying out. Mm. I got a first-row orchestra seat right on the aisle, and when the show was over, after Ms. Rivera came out to take her bows, she looked down directly at me and gave me a wink. I was in (laughs) heaven. I mean, Anita from West Side Story, Rosie from Bye Bye Birdie. Since then, I have never missed a single one of her musicals, even Merlin, in which she played the wicked queen who was trying to get on the throne her unfavored son portrayed by newcomer Nathan Lane, whether he liked it or not. In July 1983, I brought my 11-year-old son Jason, who then had a fascination with magic, to Merlin. We had no problem getting third-row seats, and I'm glad to say that Jason enjoyed the show immeasurably, especially at the curtain calls, when he turned to me excitedly and said, Daddy, the Queen just winked at me. (laughs) And I really thought that uh, what would happen is that someday his son or daughter would have Cheetah Rivera wink at him or her (laughs) because it seemed to me that um, she was just going to go on forever. She gave us that impression. Um, At the Star Ledger, where I worked for many, many years, I remember walking in every day and passing by a certain office where there was an obituary of Bob Hope ready to go ready to go. I mean, every day I'd come in there, I'd see it, I'd see it, I'd see it. And then one day, of course, what I had been seeing for literally months 
was in the newspaper, um, a full page. And the thing is, did I have my Cheetah Rivera obituary ready? No. Um, there was a part of me, I know this is stupid, who felt she was never going to die. She seemed indestructible. Yeah. Um, that's what was so amazing to me. I, 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 yes, I mean, the last time I saw her, which I believe was the last time Michael saw her, too, at a, a, a party for the Cheetah Rivera Awards. And it's wonderful. We, we have a... Uh, um, a wonderful award in her honor. Uh, yeah, she looked older. Okay. But still, um, it, it, indefatigable to me. And under those circumstances, it just did seem, which defies logic, that she would go on forever. And so it caught me by surprise, especially since her birthday was just the week before. And um, even though 91 is certainly an age that any of us would sign a paper today to to live to, because Lord knows um, what's going to happen to any of us. Uh, it, it, it still seemed like the number didn't mean anything where it came to Cheetah Rivera. Um, I also have to say I was at the notorious first preview of Bring Back Birdie, um, which nothing worked. I mean, Joe Layton came out before the performance and apologized for what we were going to see. And... <laughs> And yet, I'm telling you, as always, she gave 100%. 100%. The thing is, too, about this um, winking thing that I just mentioned, um, it was something she routinely did after every performance, it seemed. I mean, once I posted this, a lot of people had similar stories. And isn't it wonderful that she made someone in that audience feel special? When you think how many audiences she uh, faced, mm. uh, how many people went out with that same type of thrill? that I had as a teenager and my kid had even before he was a teenager. I mean, what a wonderful thing. What a wonderful gift to give. I mean, what does it take to wink? It doesn't cost you anything. And yet uh, it was something she was so determined to do. And that's certainly something you don't get at the movies. And speaking of movies, well, I mean, what other actress um, can say the three other people got Oscars for roles that she uh, originated because, of course, two for West Side Story and um, uh, Chicago. Uh, those are roles she started. Now, obviously, she would not have played Anita in the remake of West Side Story, but certainly she could have played um, uh, Anita in the original movie of West Side Story. And while she did pop up every now and then in a movie, and there is a clip of her uh, doing a screen test, I think for Carnival, um, when they were talking about a movie for Carnival, the fact remains is she was more than anybody I can think of a true Broadway baby. I mean, certainly her stage output was far, far uh, more impressive than her um, Hollywood resume. So uh, she was one of ours. Uh, and um, I imagine there are certain people who... Never heard of her, but we certainly did. And uh, we cherished every time we heard that she was going to be in a musical. And uh, whether they were as wonderful as Chicago or West Side Story or not so good as Merlin, um, it was always a treat to know she was going to be there. And um, and also, she was a wonderful mentor. I've heard so many people who have, young people who have been in shows with her, mm. who said that um, she was so great in giving advice when asked, when asked, and um, and that she would certainly take people under her wing. And 
that's very nice too because so many stars don't do anything remotely like that you know they're in their own little orbit and um, the supporting cast is definitely a supporting cast in the worst sense of the word but she gave support to her supporting players i'm told time and time and time again so um yes we knew this day was coming for a long time but it still surprised all of us and of course saddened all of us but Lord knows we have our memories and we have our cast albums and um, and that will suffice for as best it can for the years to come. Hey, Michael, what are your thoughts on Cheetah? Yeah, the one point I was going to make, uh, Peter already made that the outpouring, the incredible outpouring of love and affection and, uh, and, and grief uh, over her death is all the more... Uh, amazing considering that she really was not a movie or TV star. Uh, I mean, even if you compare to, um, for example, Angela Lansbury, uh, you know, who certainly deserved everything that uh, the people said about her when she passed, but she was both <laughs> a, a TV and a movie star. In addition to her Broadway career, uh, she did not so much. So I think that that is testament to just how special Everyone felt she was. And and the other thing Peter said, which I was going to say, which everyone I've spoken to has said, that it makes absolutely no sense how everyone, no one could picture her dying, uh, yeah. even though she was 91. Uh, she had such energy. and uh, He was part, the epitome of life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Part of that is, um, you know, I, I guess the dancer training and and she was in such amazing shape that she famously um, got through that horrible car accident Mm. decades ago uh, when it was said that she would never dance again and she was like oh really well we'll see about that (laughs) Um, that that was incredible the way she came through that Um, so many stories Josh Ellis our friend posted a fabulous story that when um, there was a press event for the Lena Horn show when Lena Horn was on. Uh, yes. And um, it was going to be held at a uh, part of it was going to be held at a rehearsal studio. And, and Cheetah was there for, I forget what reason now, but she was there and she was in no makeup and, and she was in dance clothes. And, and uh, Josh just let her know that the press, a lot of press were about to show up, um, you know, in case she wanted to, uh, avoid them or or get made up or whatever you know and she uh rather than do either of those things she said um can i help <laughs> and so uh josh said something like, well you can hand out the these um these information sheets of the presses they come off the elevator and she said oh yeah i'll do that you know so all these people came up in the elevator and it was like, hi, I'm Cheetah Rivera. Welcome to Lena Horn and the Lady and Her Music. <laughs> and, and the press people were extremely <laughs> confused, but also thrilled. Uh, so she would do things like that. She was such a trooper. Um, I think she was proud of being thought of as a gypsy. Uh, that oh, word yeah. that some people do not want to use anymore. I, I, I still use it because I think it was... Uh, uh, it was always meant in the most positive way possible. Mm-hmm. Someone who just goes from one show to the next and does the work, even in her case, when she was the star, but she was still a gypsy. Gypsy usually refers to chorus ensemble people, mm-hmm. but, um, but then there were people like her who 
just had that whole that whole outlook, that whole um, way of responding when in a show and and giving a hundred percent and and just doing the work. And if something is a flop, then you just go on to the next one. And if something is a hit, you just go on to the next one. Um, just an extraordinary, extraordinary talent and so down to earth as everyone uh, knows who met her off stage. Um, really um, uh, still unbelievable uh, to, to many of us for, for mm-hmm. the reasons mm-hmm. I said. In fact, mm-hmm. I, I, I may have mentioned I had, um, well, um, I think that actually uh, Cheetah in her last years, um, her home base for performing, uh, I would say was 54 below. Um, she did her one woman show there many times. Uh, but I think her, I'm almost positive her last appearance there was in my, uh, Bernstein on Broadway show in 2020. Uh, um, wow. so yeah, so, so that's, um, something that I have that I, that I'll hold down to forever. Sure. And then also, um, uh, I had arranged, uh, uh, this coming Monday, uh, uh, this coming, uh, Monday, February 19th, uh, which is president's day. Cheetah was going to receive an icon award from the New York city gay men's chorus with whom she had performed, um, at the Edison ballroom. And, and I had set that whole thing up and sh- she was going to be there. And, um, so of course they're still giving her the award posthumously. Uh, I think they're going to try to. Um, maybe get her daughter to come and accept it. Um, but uh, she, uh, my experience is that she rarely said no to things. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She would, would always try to be there, uh, you know, for whatever it was. And she obviously loved, 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 and lived to perform. Uh, just an extraordinary talent and, a beautiful human being well you know it's so funny uh here i am talking about her and i forgot all about the accident and i remember so vividly <laughs> my alarm going off that morning in 1010 news uh which for our listeners out of town is an all news station that's all they do and at um on the hour 20 uh, past and 20 of Radio they give station, updates yeah. and yeah and um there it was that the, the lead story was that she had been in this terrible accident and needless to say, I said, well, that's it. We'll never see her again. Mm-hmm. And uh, that certainly didn't turn out to be true, but what was so interesting some many years later, um, 20 years later, 25 years later, 30, maybe um, we gave her a lifetime achievement award. One of many, I'm sure she received and <laughs> Lord knows uh, how many trophies over the years she got from this and that and the other group. We gave her a lifetime achievement one, and it was amazing to watch her on stage kick her leg up so high to show us she could still do it. It was, <laughs> yeah, and really. I mean, who who comes back for an accident? I mean, with more than a dozen pins uh, in her leg, and I mean, who can do that? I mean, this is why we felt she was indestructible because she should have been destroyed by that accident, and yet 
she certainly wasn't. Um, and uh, the determination that went into that had to be astonishing. Uh, I'm, I'm sure the people who worked with her at the beginning thought that she would never reach the heights that she did reach mm. uh, after that accident. So that's that's an amazing thing, too. It's, it's not that she was just a phenomenal performer and stormed up the stage every time we saw her. Uh, it was more than that, a lot more than that. So as... Um, Michael said, really quite the human being who um, had <laughs> compassion and, to use that word, guts. I remember I remember when the accident happened, I had gotten together with a bunch of friends like that night or the, the following night. And I remember one of them was a dancer. And she said, um, well, you know, it's so sad because everyone is saying Cheetah won't ever dance again because she's so old. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, she, if she had... If she had had an accident like that when she was, you know, in her early 20s, it might be different. But because she's so old, <laughs> she, she'll never dance again. And and how long ago was it? 30 years? 80 days. <laughs> you know, I mean, absolutely incredible. We should mention <laughs> she received both the Kennedy Center Honors and the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Uh, the latter was... Uh, presented by Obama. And um, I don't know if you all saw, but uh, President Biden did make a statement on her passing. No, I didn't see that. Yeah, he did. Mm. So uh, uh, I'm so glad you mentioned that in, in about President Biden, because I, I was going to say that uh, this transcended the Broadway community. Uh, so many friends of mine who do not stay up with anything in Broadway or musical theater or anything. Sure, sure. Uh, you know, texted me, called me, and said, "Hey, wow, I can't believe that Cheetah passed away," because uh, they were in that same mindset that she'll, she's evergreen, she'll mm-hmm. be here forever, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. and it was it it, it shocked everybody, and, and I you I don't know uh, I don't have any data to back this up, but. I mean, the media outpouring was yes. incredible. The New York Times did five, six, seven mm. pieces on it, mm. uh, on Cheetah, on retrospectives and things. I don't remember them doing that for Sondheim. I, yeah. They, they could have, but I don't. I, I think that she had such a huge impact uh, on us and uh, just the whole world. It's amazing. I've put most of the New York Times uh, uh, articles in the uh, show notes. Is a there's an obit. There's uh, some retrospectives from Jesse Green. There's uh, a point of view from the uh, from the ballet um, uh, columnist at the Times. There's a life and photos from the Times. As also uh, Elizabeth Vincentelli did another piece. There's so many things that are wonderful, great remembrances of Cheetah uh, that have happened this week. And that was so intensely encouraging uh, to see that people recognized what an impact she, what a positive, positive impact she had on us all. And again, really without almost any presence in films other than Sweet Charity, mm. in which she's fabulous. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> She was on TV a lot back in the day uh, in, mm-hmm. in the 60s. Mm-hmm. She was in on a lot of variety shows, yeah. including the Judy Garland show. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but she I'm, I'm glad that she was also in that now I, I don't remember the title of it what was the name of that show um that was on uh, i guess just last year with sutton foster as the host um some kind of broadway oh yeah tribute celebration thing and and she certainly uh was there for that so uh uh that sounds yeah. like some sort of uh celebrating 50 years of broadway's best on pbs thank you yes that's yeah. uh thank you google yeah. <laughs> so uh yeah so please if you have uh special stories of cheetah reach out to us on email or social media and let us know uh mm. what your stories are because it, it's so wonderful to share them and keep them alive yeah so next up in our first review of the morning, uh, the three of us got to Studio 54 in the last couple of days to see Days of Wine and Roses, um, the transfer from the Atlantic Theater Company to Broadway. This is a commercial transfer. It is not a uh, Studio 54 is owned by Roundabout, but it's not a Roundabout production uh, as far as I can tell. Correct. Um, so, Peter, why don't you get us started on the Days, uh, days of Wine? Wine and Roses. Well, um, I, uh, I, I, I know that for some years this has been available as a play. Uh, one can certainly um, get it from one of the major houses and do it as a play. And um, that's the show that I would most like to see because it is a very powerful story of a guy who thinks nothing of um, encouraging a woman to drink who never drank before, never was interested, didn't like the taste, and gets her seduced into it by saying, well, what do you like? And she says chocolate, so he gives her a chocolate liqueur, that hits the spot. And finally, she winds up becoming far more addicted to alcohol than he does. Now, they're both alcoholics, ultimately, certainly. But he understands that he has a genuine problem here, and he's going to do something about it. Uh, she um, will not. And um, we we really do believe at the end of the show, uh, when she makes an appearance after being away for a long time, that she's going to straighten out. I won't tell you whether or not she does. What I do think is a problem, by the way, is the fact that Kelly O'Hara, who is magnificent all through the show, mm. no surprise, magnificent, at the end, she'd really look worse for wear. I mean, drinking does take its toll, and she looks exactly the same at the end of the show that she does at the beginning of the show. So I think that's something that uh, should have been looked at, and it would have been something to really see her come in looking like the wrath of God, which indeed um, can happen when you drink too much. So um, her equal certainly is Brian Darcy James, uh, phenomenal too, as uh, a guy who has a good job and loses it, because he's an alcoholic and um, tries to get back on the right track. One of the things that's different from the famous movie uh, that was made in the early 60s with Jack Lemmon and Lee Remick is the fact that there wasn't anything um, involving... You didn't see a child to any real degree, and they, uh, Craig Lucas and Adam Gettle have decided to make that child on stage. And the kid, played by Tabitha Loring, is really quite terrific, but she has a good deal to do. The lines that Craig Lucas has given her are very potent lines because what we see here is she's one of those kids who doesn't fall down and die when she doesn't have a mother uh, on, on the premises anymore. She becomes an adult and she it, it, at points looks as if she's taking care of her father who needs it, by the way. 
I will say this, that um, Byron Jennings is really quite wonderful as mm. um, her father, uh, who never liked or trusted uh, Joe Clay, as um, Brian Darcy James' character is named. Never trusted him, never liked him. And frankly, in the scene where he, um, there are scenes when he confronts uh, Brian Darcy James and, and, and accuses him of all this. And frankly, I, I even think that um, he's too much of a good guy there. I, I would think that his fury would be far stronger than it would be. Um, but that's what he's been given to say. But the performance that really affected me, and it's ironic because uh, he, he doesn't sing a note of music, is David Jennings, not to be confused with Brian, but David Jennings as an AA person. The term AA is not used, but um, it's an AA person who always has the right thing to say, always knows what's going to happen, always can predict the fallback, the the achievement, um, the non-achievements, uh, the failures, um, the utter failures. And um, he's never swayed from the advice he has to give. He knows what he's telling is the truth because he's been there too. He's an alcoholic as well, and he hasn't drunk in a long, long time and doesn't intend to. So... Um, so I, it's a wonderful performance. It's it's almost a cameo, but it's really quite wonderful. Um, you notice I'm not talking about the music uh, because um, Adam Gettle's music mostly to me sounds like recitative. Um, there were very few moments that actually cry out to me as songs. There are some that seem to start out as some. Uh, there's one that struck me as AAB and then it went to a different direction. I'm not sure of that, by the way, but recitative is what it really seems to me. Um, I would really be curious. This will never happen, of course. I would really be curious to see what would happen if Adam Gettle were to play his music for his grandfather, Richard Rogers. I would love to know what Richard Rogers would say. Would he say, Adam? That that is so amazing. You've taken the musical theater into new terrain, <laughs> and isn't it just magnificent that you have done so? Or or get a job? I don't know. <laughs> I really don't. But um, I remember one time um, in, in the Star Ledger um, doing a criticism of Light in the Piazza, and somebody wrote me and said, "You have no idea how perfect that score is." So maybe it's just my lack of musical training that keeps me from appreciating the wonders of Adam Gettle, but I don't get Gettle. Mm. Michael, how about you? Well, I have an interesting response to that because to me, this score is very, very, very different from that of the light in the piazza, which I absolutely adore. Yeah. Uh, I don't, yeah. I don't think that one um, could be characterized as recitative or sung dialogue for the most part. There might be a few moments, but I think that show has songs in it uh, much more um, uh, close to uh, traditional and co conventional song forms than this one, which indeed is um, almost completely comes across as sung dialogue or to use your word recitative um there was one song in it the 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 um uh the, the little song that uh kirsten sang to the baby when she was in the little mm -hmm. bassinet or crib or whatever that thing was um but that's that's the way he chose to write this and i i oh, yeah. think it was a tr i think it was a huge mistake I think the show would be much better if he had more traditional song forms. And if there was 
less sung dialogue, especially at the beginning. Um, that's stuff that Brian Darcy James, as Joe was singing at the beginning when they're at the party on the, on the, on the boat. Um, it just, when, when sung dialogue is not well-written, it's extremely annoying to me. <laughs> um, and, and that was the case here. Uh, I, I was reminded seeing it again after having seen it off Broadway. Um, so I, and I think also um, that there was no, uh, it wasn't clear to the audience when or if they were supposed to applaud um, after certain numbers. And that made them uncomfortable and uh, kept them at a distance and kept them from investing in the show. Um, I, I just, I really do wish uh that Adam Gettle had chosen a different way to musicalize this tale. And, and again, I have to say, I even, I even said to him once, uh, one of the few times I met him, uh, and I do believe this, uh, I, I said to him, uh, the line of the piazza, you know, when I, when I hear and see something like that, um, where someone wrote the music and lyrics, for a masterpiece like that, I can't, I almost can't believe that a human being actually wrote it. And he, he was, um, he was quite overwhelmed by, by my remark, but I, I really do think that. And, and so it's a tremendous disappointment to me that this one is very, very different and not like that at all, especially because they do have two of the greatest singing actors in the world, um, in these two roles. Um, Brian Darcy James uh, was such a good actor that I'll, I'll never forget. In uh, 2001, he did a one-person straight play called The Good Thief off-Broadway, yeah. mm -hmm. um, and he was absolutely riveting. And Kelly, to my knowledge, um, has not done a, a straight play in any major venue, but she absolutely could. I've always appreciated her acting as well as her magnificent voice i remember specific moments in south pacific um little things she would do that that showed she really really understood that character and was communicating it um it's just um they're both at the highest possible level i think as far as um acting and singing and it's so great to see them in this uh which would be, um, I, I mean, I, I, the, the fact that they're getting such great response for it, even though apparently quite a few people really don't like uh, the piece overall and specifically the score, um, that's that's a huge testament to them. Um, there are some weird things in it, I thought. I, I, I mean, for the most part, I, I guess I liked um, Craig Lucas's work, but there's an episodic um, nature to the piece, which is only natural, I suppose, but I, I don't think that was handled that well. And, and there was, um, there were a couple of things there. There's a scene um, where uh, the father, who I, I certainly agree about Byron Jennings performance as well. Uh, and the other, the other Jennings performance, David Jennings, both of them are, are just terrific. And neither of them sings a note as, as Peter mentioned. Um, but Byron Jennings, it doesn't take him long uh, to come to the opinion that Joe is very, very bad for his daughter, Kirsten, Kristen, Kirsten. Uh, and uh, he 
makes no bones about it. And then there's one point fairly early on uh, where he tells her to leave him. But then, um, and of course, it's all because of the alcohol. But then uh, there was a scene after that where uh, that Peter mentioned where the two men are speaking and um, the dad is having, I, I guess, a, a beer. Um, and he says, well, I can yeah. do it because I can I can stop at one. But he also, <laughs> mm. why did he offer Joe mm. a beer in that scene? Um, I was, I, I would like to have seen that scene directed so that we would see that he was testing him. But that wasn't, it didn't seem that way at all. It seemed like he was being convivial. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, that would have made a big difference, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah but I, I, it, it didn't seem that way at all. I, I l- let me interrupt for a second because sure. uh, I, I come from a family full of alcoholics, mm. uh, and my dad was a terrible, terrible alcoholic, and my, mm. my brothers, and uh, wow. uh, so I have a lot of experience in this type of thing. Oh, so um, no, well, it, it is what it is, yeah. and yeah. Uh, uh, but you know one of the things is is that so many people don't understand alcoholism that alcoholics can't have one they're like why can't you just mm. have one and think and this is a very common theme so i think that th- that scene was you know totally common uh and that I, I i wasn't thrown off by that scene i was annoyed by it uh from the standpoint of you don't do that to an alcoholic. You don't offer an alcoholic a drink and say, just one, just one, you know, and, and lots of, uh, uh, lots of getting sober type of works of art, uh, television, movies, plays, and things like that have addressed this. It is a very famous scene in, uh, the television show, The Sopranos, when Christopher's trying to get sober and Tony forces him, to uh have another drink and it's and christopher ends up in a downward spiral that eventually kills him um so uh, spoiler alert sorry it's 12 years old <laughs> yeah uh so uh, uh you know that specific scene i i i uh remember exactly uh what that what that feeling was in saying, okay, this is where they're going to put that in. They, they had a lot of formulaic alcoholic AA type of, uh, of, of, uh, language. Yeah, exactly. And, and references back to what's, what's, uh, typical in these type of things. What I, I wanted to ask the both of you, because you both saw it and reviewed it here on Broadway Radio uh, in June of 2023, just six months ago or so, mm. uh, eight, eight months ago from here, but Atlantic Theater Company played for a couple of months after we reviewed it. Uh, what were the changes between the off-Broadway and the Broadway production that did you notice anything? A few of the major reviews have talked about changes, but didn't specify anything. I can't say I noticed anything. Yeah, Same here. And, and, and yes, and I did notice that the, the Times review made it quite a point of it. That, yeah. Uh, that uh, that person felt it was had been greatly improved um, and implied that there were pretty major changes. I I didn't notice or don't remember anything. I'll tell you if one change was made, it was not for the better. And and that is if a scene was eliminated because there's a scene where he has hidden 
a bottle in uh, the greenhouse, which uh, is how um, his father-in-law yeah. makes his living. And uh, late at night, as he's drunk and he needs a drink very badly, he goes looking for the bottle he hid. And uh, when he can't find it, he tears up the entire uh, greenhouse with no thought whatsoever about the ramifications of that. The important thing is finding the bottle. That's all that's on his mind. And it's a very dramatic scene. But what I would expect would be a scene where the father confronts him after that. And mm. that's not there at all. Yeah. Was it Atlantic? I don't remember. But uh, that's a missing scene. We really need mm -hmm. to see the father explode. And uh, uh, you're never, I'm never going to talk to you again. Um, a, a scene where, with his daughter yeah. saying, you, you've got to leave this guy. I mean, he, 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 he says more to Joe about what a bum you are as opposed to his daughter saying you've got to leave him there's a little bit more um to the son and in-law and really where is the scene where his livelihood is destroyed uh because of a guy looking for a bottle um it's real and it, it's so pathetic to watch this scene uh where brian joshua day has no idea whatsoever that this is a problem that he's destroying this place the only thing is the bottle and i know that's a, a real thing i'm not questioning um any alcoholics craziness in 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 uh unstoppable uh <laughs> um quest to get what you want and nothing else matters i'm also thinking there, but I do expect some ramifications uh, as a result of that. The famous line in that 1945 uh, movie, The Lost Weekend, one, is, one drink is too many and a thousand isn't enough. Mm -hmm. um, that That is pretty much um, shown here in this show. So, um, well, I agree with all that, and I would I would make the point, and I, I know many people disagree with me, but this show was directed by Michael Greif, and as I've said recently, <laughs> in regard to other things he's directed, it always seems to me that all of his shows have some obvious flaws that a better director uh, and a director with more um, ability as a dramaturg. Uh, would have noticed. So I think maybe someone else might have recognized Peter that that scene needed to be there and said, hey, Adam, could you maybe, you know, think about that? Adam and Craig, you know, mm -hmm. didn't have to be a, a, a song, could have just been a dialogue scene. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what I think. Was there a credited dramaturg in this? I'm looking here quickly. I don't oh, see it look, dramaturg. Uh, it's not on the title page, although I love that musical director Kimberly Grigsby got uh, her, her billing is on a separate line. And, <laughs> and as as large as Adam Gittle's name, she got great billing, the musical director. <laughs> and she conducted when I saw the show as well. Love yeah. Grigsby. She's wonderful. By the way, uh, two choreographers listed. And um, boy, um, I, I, I don't think this. I missed the happening. tap number. I didn't see the tap number. Did you? Uh, the, it's it's very strange <laughs> that uh, there's two choreographers for a show that um, yeah. has minimal, if any, choreography. I'd almost be hard pressed to um, to describe where the choreography is in this show. So um, At the. Uh... That dancing scene when they first start drinking and they have the wide assortment of mixed drinks and they start dancing and Brian and Kelly dance right. a little bit. Uh, so that's interesting. I wanted to ask the two of you about the father character. Uh, uh, it, it seemed like 
the father never gave him a chance. He hated him from the very first meeting in the kitchen. True. Uh, and well, don't they and arrive I, late at night? They were at 11, 11 p.m. at night. Absolutely. Yeah. But, yeah, so it's, but it's not a good first uh, impression. <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, yeah, I felt like the up. father character had no journey. You know, he was he started out 100 percent of hating him and kept it up through the whole show. And and the daughter could do no wrong. Uh yeah, that's yeah, yeah, even in that point. movie, Meet the Parents, when Ben Stiller makes one mistake after the other, I mean, uh, <laughs> and, and does something as atrocious, um, inadvertently though, as, uh, burning down, when he burns down the, um, the pavilion, uh, it is true that he does get the benefit of the doubt for a couple of minutes at the beginning of the movie. So, uh, it, it that's a good point that, uh, that he's, I'm gonna, off. I'm gonna say something very controversial. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and tell me if I am like on another planet. <laughs> Is Adam Gettle the next Sondheim? Uh, in, in the sense, yeah, I can Go understand ahead. that. Absolutely. In the sense what? In the sense of that he writes these musicals that are, uh, really thought pieces uh-huh. and not f- not really quote unquote fun and not commercial. I mean, mm-hmm. wine and roses is selling great right mm-hmm. now at studio 54, but is it going to be yeah. round in a year? I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, so I, I wonder if Adam, but he's got a, you know, he's got to put out more than one musical a decade, you know, if, yeah, right. when, when he was working with William Goldman on The Princess Bride, uh, when it ended, I was not unhappy. That it, I don't think he's the right composer for that either. But uh, but again, it, you know, we all have composers who don't speak to us. Every one of us, uh, whether it be Kurt Vile and Noel Coward. I mean, I've heard that over the years. Uh, I don't like his music. Everybody has one of those, and um, he qualifies with me for that. And um, far be it from me to um, <laughs> say, no, you're wrong, if you like him. Uh, no, it has nothing to do with that. And um, I'd much rather people have a good time than agree with me. And yeah. indeed, if indeed um, the music is really quite wonderful to people, that's great. And by the way, it's only fair to say my audience on Wednesday night certainly gave titanic applause every time that applause um, was asked for. Uh, that may very well have been for the performers, but it did seem to me that they enjoyed what they were hearing, not just the people who were dispensing it to them. Mm-hmm. Well, if you had asked me at the time of Light in the Piazza, I sure. might have guessed that he, that Adam Geta would maybe be close to another Sondheim. But um, but as you know, mentioned, uh, first of all, his output has been uh, uh, very very meager since then. Uh, apparently the princess bride was a tremendous disappointment to him that, uh, it couldn't go forward because the, the rights were withdrawn. Correct. Well, wasn't it that Goldman wanted too much money? He wanted, um, uh, the split to be, um, very, um, much in his favor in a way that usually doesn't happen. It's my understanding that, um, a composer gets 2%, a lyricist mm-hmm. gets 2%, and a, a librettist gets 2%. Um, 
that seems to be standard. But um, at the time I was hearing, which doesn't make it true, that Goldman only wanted more. Um, and uh, after all, he's the one who created the Princess Bride, so uh, I can understand that point of view. But yeah. that's what seemed to scuttle it, which is which must have been one of those famous it's not the money, it's the principal thing <laughs> because after all, we can assume that Adam Gettle doesn't need money. I mm. mean, you know, I, I, when you're Richard Rogers' grandson, you would assume that there's money available. Uh, again, you know, we're not looking at anybody's bank book and who knows uh, what he spends. I mean, it, we don't know. We don't know. But um, but I was told at the time that's what scuttled that. And if so, that's too bad from the vantage point of um, William Goldman, who uh, I, I, I have been told on many uh, different occasions uh, was a pretty stern guy. And um, which saddens me because I'm sure longtime listeners know that I quote his book, The Season, endlessly, even though it's more than 50 years old. But, but, um, you know, I, I, again, I'm not sure I want to see a Princess Bride with an Adam Gettle score. Hmm. So, two more quick points from me, and then we'll move on. Uh, and I hate to be trite, and I'm not sure anybody has, I didn't see this in any of the reviews. Uh, Days of Wine and Roses had no wine and no roses. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, I, I, I guess, you know, we don't hear the word wine in the show. No, nope. they all, all those yeah. drinks were non-wine. And yeah. the one yeah. chance that he had to introduce roses into the show, they brought That's tulips. Right. <laughs> and and it, at one point stems. Um, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is something. Well, that um, phrase is from somewhere, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's it's a, it's a famous quotation. Uh, I I think it was. I think it predated the a movie. Po- a poem, maybe. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I can't. I'm just googling uh, it now, but I can't immediately. Everything find goes it. back to Shakespeare. I'm sure Shakespeare said it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but uh, yeah, and of course, um, the movie yielded an Oscar-winning song, which is really quite lovely, by, by Henry Mancini and Johnny Mercer. Um, and no, no, that's a song. Okay. <laughs> so Days of Wine and Roses is playing at Studio 54 right now. It is scheduled through April 28th, which is curiously the, uh, right, right after the Tony Award nomination announcements. I expect it'll be extended and I expect that we will see Brian Darcy James and Kelly O'Hara and a few other names from this production in the nominations at least. At least. So, uh, if not, you know, Brian Darcy James and Kelly O'Hara could, you know, absolutely could be accepting an award mm-hmm. coming this Tony Awards. Sure, sure. It'd be nice found- for Brian, Di- Brian Darcy James, too, because he was so magnificent in Sweet Smell of Success. And yeah. a lot of people thought he was going to win then, and, uh, mm-hmm. and he didn't. So um, um, the Tonys may very well make it up to him this year. Agreed. Michael, what were you going to say? Uh, I found the quote. It's a quote from a poem by Ernest Dowson. And uh, it's, they are not long, the days of wine and roses. Out of a misty dream, our path emerges for a while, then closes within a dream. Oh, who was that again? That Ernest Dowson, D-O-W-S-O-N. Oh, that's just, that's just a, another cover for Shakespeare. <laughs> One of those people. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Also Francis Bacon. Uh. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I was going to say that. Yeah. 
All right. Next up, Michael headed in the Portanti Airmobile and headed to <laughs> Washington, D.C. to the Kennedy Center to see Tick, Tick, Boom, which has quite the cast of Brandon Uraneritz, uh, Danae Benton, Gary Hen- uh, Gray Henson, excuse me, um, and directed by Neil Patrick Harris. Mm. How could it possibly not be following Spam a lot off Long I-95 North? So tell us about this, Michael. Well, I love this show to begin with. I, I, as I've said before, I kind of got in on the ground floor because when it was first done, uh, well, it was originally done, <laughs> uh, performed by Jonathan Larson himself. Uh, uh, as uh, I, And I'm not sure if it was originally just one person, uh, just him, or if he... Uh, had one or two uh backup singers as it's depicted in the film of tick tick boom but anyway uh then it was later um expanded into a uh into a a a, a full musical uh with um a, a, a script uh additions and and uh rewrites by david auburn and uh stephen aremus was in charge of the the musical uh end of that that production that played off broadway at the jane street theater with raul esparza mm-hmm. and um amy spanger and jerry dixon uh and then um it was made into a really fantastic movie uh directed by lin-manuel miranda which greatly expanded it even further um so it's interesting to see um go back to something like what it used to be uh before that although this this production um is expanded in the sense that the uh the off-broadway one had just those three performers that i that i mentioned um whereas this one has a, a small ensemble and i uh i think that was a good idea so you have for example um uh different separate people playing other roles like jonathan's father and his agent uh rather than having to have two uh people double in all of those other roles it it can become uh, a little confusing um so i i was really really glad to see this again uh by the way it was at the kennedy center in the eisenhower theater um uh the same night that i saw that in in another <laughs> um space there uh audra mcdonald was singing with the national symphony and i think she um had sung the night before as well and i read that she dedicated her performance to cheetah rivera and also to hinton battle who um died the same day and both of whom uh had major connections to dc cheetah was born there and, and grew up there um and i i think that hinton battle was not born there but 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 spent a lot of his youth there um so that that was a nice little thing that happened there um this is a excellent production of tick tick boom with brandon uranowitz as john uh, uh the character is called john uh uh and but he is supposed to be jonathan larson it's a very very autobiographical piece in in many ways and danae benton uh primarily plays uh his 
girlfriend Susan, uh, which I believe is a composite role, and Gray Henson plays his uh, his friend since childhood and and roommate Michael, who is um, had been living with Jonathan in in the village in the East Village, but now is. Uh, uh, moving on up <laughs> to the east side because he's he got a job in uh, advertising a really good job and so uh he's he's moving on but he's very much a part of the action um brandon uranowitz gray henson and danae benton all absolutely phenomenal in this show uh Gray Henson, whom you you've, you may have seen in mean girls on stage and also much more recently in shucked uh, he was one of the two narrators, and he's always so delightful on stage. And in this show, um, he got to, sh- uh, I think, uh, show off his voice a little bit more. Uh, and it's he's really got a lovely voice, which I hadn't focused on so much before. Um, Danae Benton as Susan. She primarily plays Susan, but she also plays Caressa, which is the role of this um, one of the performers in this uh, show that john is about to workshop and he's obsessing about um uh, and that show is superbia which is an actual musical that Mm -hmm. was written by jonathan larson and has never been produced uh and still hasn't been produced i i think for the reasons they give in (laughs) in this show uh that it's got a tremendous cast it's also it's got science fiction theme and uh it's just seems like there's a lot that would work against it being produced. Um, but uh, Come to Your Senses is the the showstopper of Tick, Tick, Boom. And it was written for Superbia. And Danae Benton, uh, she, um, I guess you would say she literally stopped the show with her performance of it in this production because the we had to really wait for the and she did uh, for the applause to subside afterwards. It was uh, it's been a while since I've seen and heard that much applause after a number. And I thought it was absolutely 100 percent deserved. Uh, she was just 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 great. Brandon Uranowitz, um, uh, so we've seen him in Leopoldstadt. Uh, we've seen him in several other things he's so versatile um he does have his quirks and mannerisms of body language but um i thought they fit perfectly uh into this show um and uh i think that neil patrick harris did a wonderful job of directing it he used um video uh in the sense that at many points we see a huge close-up of john's face while he's talking to us on the back wall of the theater and that really made uh that really brought us into um you know to his world and to show that everything was from his point of view and allowed us to relate to him even more um uh i i wonder if there will be a a future life for this production um it certainly was extremely well received and i think that i i've said before i I think that movie is incredibly well done uh especially by a first-time film director like lin-manuel miranda um if if this show does go on it will be interesting to see how people react to it because it is uh quite different from the movie uh, much 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 smaller in scope and uh uh 
and as I say, there were a lot of rewrites for the movie, but I'm really glad I made this trip and uh, the show holds a special place in my heart. And uh, so I'm glad that they did it proud. I can't imagine that they had these names in it and that it won't have a future life. But, you know, yeah. uh, like we said, I remember uh, that I uh, said that I thought that Once Upon a Mattress might transfer and you were very skeptical. Yeah. I, I did yeah. not mean I did not mean in the short term because I don't think mm -hmm. there's, you know, there would be a place for it to go. Uh, and same with Tick, Tick, Boom. But the thing is, if these things, if they don't happen right away, then they tend not to happen because you can't mm -hmm. keep the people together. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so so that may be that may be the case with both of these. Uh, it's too bad there's not really commercial off-Broadway anymore uh, because <laughs> uh, this is still, Tick, Tick, Boom is still, I would say, uh, you know, yeah, no. what used to be thought of as an off-Broadway show, yeah. even with the additional ensemble members. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. All right. Um, so, Michael, I went back and listened to uh, your uh, your review and Peter's review of Days, Days and Wine and Roses when it was at Atlantic Theater Company. Oh, okay. And I think I'm going to paraphrase what you said here. You said, uh, I think it could transfer to Broadway in a limited run by a nonprofit organization. <laughs> well, so and that's exactly <laughs> what happened. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, but no, but as you said, it, it's it's yeah. not a nonprofit because yeah, they're just renting it, the it, space it, from yeah. from uh, yeah. Around. But, but I mean, but it is know, limited, you, run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, Kevin McCollum's name's attached, you know. Yeah. So yeah, so I, and I think that it's because uh, Days of Wine and Roses would tour very well. It's a small cast; it's a it, musical. It, that's what's it's really gonna, amazing: how small a cast it is for a Broadway show. Yeah, yeah, for a Broadway right. musical. Yeah really and, yeah uh, <laughs> and so many of the characters really a window dressing it really is a four character show yeah five really no with the kid with the kid with five. the kid yeah, yeah five yeah i don't know if um uh do any of you know if uh even though it's not a roundabout production was it offered to their subscribers I uh, don't know that sometimes that happens when yes it does know, yeah. when non yeah roundabout mm -hmm. yeah. shows you know are and 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 that's what i that's what i meant my point was that if they had mm -hmm. a subscriber base mm -hmm. uh it, that would i think yeah it's probably uh, offered to the atlantic theater company subscribers as well sure oh know. right of course because yeah. that's where it started yeah so yeah. um and then they are still listed as one of the producers yeah. so uh so we'll go from the cast of four or five or so or small cast to a cast of thousands <laughs> over at City Center Encores, where Once Upon a Mattress is wrapping up this afternoon. But, Michael, you got back to see it for a second time. Yes. You last reported on it last week. Yeah. So tell us about uh, part two. Well, I had my press tickets uh, for yesterday. That Those were set up uh quite a while ago and I, I was it was the first time that i that i wasn't offered the, the first weekend so that surprised me but it also indicated to me how popular uh how incredibly popular this production is and when i went to buy a ticket um last week uh for last weekend's matinee saturday matinee as i think i mentioned 
I, I figured, oh, I'll waltz, waltz up to the box office and, you know, they'll have one ticket. Um, and I don't mind sitting in the balcony, you know, because uh, I so I walked up and the guy said, no, nothing's left in the balcony. And I have two seats in the left in the mezzanine. So I got one of those, um, which is why I said that I thought this would transfer to Broadway if it was at all possible. But we'll have to see what happens with that. I'm glad I went last week. Uh because first of all, it's, I think the audience seemed a little more receptive um, last week for whatever reason. But also, um, this really surprised me. Apparently, from the get-go, Jay Harrison Gee, G-H-E-E, is that how you pronounce it? Is mm-hmm. it Gee? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think so, yeah. Um, was signed for not the whole run. It was only a two-week run, and... Uh, they felt that it was so important to have him that they signed him, even though he uh, his last performance was apparently this past Friday, the second. He did not do uh, the performance I saw yesterday or the evening performance or the, uh, I guess, the final one today. Um, I, I don't know why they would do that. Uh, that's That strikes me as very strange. And, and uh, what's most unfortunate about it, as far as I can tell, is that um, this was not well publicized. Uh, there was another press person there yesterday, and I asked him if he knew that he would not be seeing Jay Harrison Gee, and he said, I didn't know it until I opened up the playbill and saw the little slip. Um, so I, 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 I think that they should not have done that. Um, I, I don't know why they did. Uh, his understudy was fine. Demarius R. Copes, who apparently um, filled in for... Uh, Mr. Gee, uh, for six weeks at least, uh, when he was out of uh, uh, Some Like It Hot, uh, initially for, I believe, surgery. And then I believe he came back and then left again for some other reason. So um, he seems to certainly have a lot going on in his life. Uh, this, This absence was not apparently for any kind of illness or anything, but, but for some pre-existing commitment. Um, and I just, if, um, if producers and directors are going to cast uh, name people in roles like that and know in advance that they are going to not be performing, I think they should at least, it really behooves them to make sure that, uh, ticket buyers know that, and I don't think that happened in this case. Uh, and I don't think that the the uh, press office did a good job of letting people know either. So um, having said that, it, it was still a great show, except that I really object to uh, almost all of the rewrites uh, that were done by Amy Sherman Palladino to the book. And um, I can correct something uh that I that I was partly wrong in what I said last week, but this is one of the weirdest things that happened. Um, there is a line in the original show that is both spoken and sung, uh, where it's a plot point, uh, and someone says, "Throughout the land, no one may wed till Dauntless shares his marriage bed." That's the setup for the whole show is that nobody in the kingdom can marry until Dauntless can marry. And that's not going to happen because his mother, uh, uh, you know, uh, just Mm. doesn't want anyone to marry him. Uh, uh, So that's the setup. Well, in this production, for some reason, uh, when the line is sung by the chorus, they sing it as I just 
spoke it. Uh, But when it's spoken before that by one of the ensemble members, she says, throughout the land, no one may wed till dauntless to the altars led. So they changed it when it was spoken, but they kept it the same when it was sung. And uh, I don't know what that is all about, but I, I just... I, I kind of wish people would keep their hands off these things uh, unless there's a real specific reason to rewrite them. Uh, and I do not think that was the case here. Um, I uh, I was almost thinking that if this, if it is announced that this is going to move, I, I was thinking of actually writing a letter uh, to the producers and the director and suggesting that they take out all of the rewrites Um and uh, I don't expect they will <laughs> do that. Uh, but I just want to make that point because it really, really bothers me. And and another thing that bothers me is that um, uh, the the credit uh, is in very small type concert adaptation by Amy Sherman Palladino. That is not what this is. It's a it's a major major rewrite of the book of the show so it's still credited to um the original three book writers and that's not really accurate uh what people are seeing here is not quite what jay thompson dean fuller and marshall barrow wrote um so that really kind of annoyed me and made me angry um and uh i'm glad that i was able to enjoy everything that's wonderful about the production aside from all that uh most definitely including sutton foster's performance all right so once upon a mattress as we talked about uh last weekend just now is ending this afternoon at city center encores and uh we'll have to see if we can see it again this our incarnation with sutton foster at some point in the future So that wraps it up for today. Before we get on to our brain teasers and our musical moments, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, you can be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts. Of course, you don't have to listen to us in Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to get us. Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Broadway Radio is one way that you can not only get us early, but support all the Broadway Radio podcasts. Uh, you can also listen to us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Pandora, St- uh, no, just Pandora, Google Play, and YouTube Music. Anywhere that you can listen to finer podcasts, you'll find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found on the show notes at broadwayradio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. So, Peter, do we have an answer to last week's brain teaser? What characters in the Rogers and Hammerstein musical, we can say for sure, saw a 16th century play? Well, in Carousel, Carrie is telling Julie <laughs> of her trip to New York with her husband, Enoch. And her fun in seeing the glamorous review, Madcap Maidens, where indeed, (laughs) as she says, the curtain went up and the first thing you see is 12 hussies with nothing on their legs but tights. Well, (laughs) when Enoch shows up, he's a little disappointed in her. We also saw Julius Caesar. Wouldn't that be a better play to quote from? 
I don't remember much of that one. She says all the men were dressed in nightgowns and it made me sleepy. <laughs> so anyway, that's the answer to the question. Tony Janicki again was first, followed by Michael Van Duzer, Deb Popple, Brigadude, Ingrid Gammerman, Kreta Bramowitz, and Sean Logan. This week's brain teaser. Some musicals are so bad that they close out of town. Hot September and 1491 are just two among many. Some musicals are so bad that they close during previews. Little Prince and the Aviator and, of course, Breakfast at Tiffany's are just two among many, too. However, one hit musical saw one of its revivals close out of town and years later saw a subsequent revival close during previews. What's the musical? Hmm. All right. If you have an answer for that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're, if you're on the right track. So, Michael, what do we have in this week's musical moments? Well, our beloved Cheetah Rivera made two uh, albums in the 60s. Uh, one is called Cheetah! Exclamation point, and the other one is called And Now I Sing. And um, in recent years, uh, those have been compiled uh, onto, I believe, one CD that you can buy or, you know, get it in whatever form you get music nowadays, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, download or whatever. Um, and there's lots, as you might suspect, lots of Broadway stuff on on these albums, but uh, also some, some non-Broadway stuff. She does a lovely version of In Other Words, which is the actual title mm-hmm. of Fly Me to the Moon, mm-hmm. uh, just offhand. That, um, so uh, I had a lot to choose from, uh, and I decided to pick for our opener, Get Me to the Church on Time from My Fair Lady, and for the, uh, the closer, a song which is not a Broadway song, technically, but it was written by Rogers and Hart. So, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it certainly qualifies in that sense. And I'm sure it must have been heard on Broadway in at least one review or something. It, that song is 10 Cents a Dance, which um, you really got to listen to this and uh, see how um, brilliant Cheetah was as both a singer and an actress. Uh, aside from her dancing, which was phenomenal. But um, this song uh, can be performed as a little one-act play, and she absolutely does that and gets inside this character of this dance hall girl, um, which was, uh, I guess, maybe somewhat similar to Cheetah's one major film role in Sweet Charity. Um, I'm just making that connection right now. Anyway, uh, and please enjoy these two remembrances of one of the greatest talents who ever lived uh, and walked and danced on the Broadway stage and who will remain in our hearts forever. All right. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. One of those lady teachers, a beautiful hostess, you know, one that the palace features at exactly a dime a throw. Ten cents a dance, that's what they pay me. Gosh, how they weigh me down. 
guys who tear my gown Seven to midnight I hear drums Loudly the saxophone blows Trumpets are tearing my eardrums Customers crush my toes Sometimes